God bless all of you good people. Praise the Lord. I, uh, I'm going to pick up where I left off last week. We are looking at one of the most interesting subjects that's in the Bible. And I want you to follow with me here today. I've got some charts I'm going to hand out to you uh, as we get into the lesson here a little further. But it starts over in the book of Daniel, carries on through into the New Testament with the teachings of Christ. And then it goes right on into where we are today and what's going on today in Israel. And, of course, our subject here is the Temple Mount. And uh, it's to do with the, uh, the temple that was once standing there that the Jews want desperately to rebuild. I've got some articles I'm going to read a few excerpts from some of them to you. Uh, and I'm going to share that with you here today. Uh, I don't know if Brother Clyde Gibson is with us today, but I also have a letter written to Clyde. I haven't gotten his permission to read parts of it, but written to Clyde from the Temple Mount Institute in Jerusalem. Is, is Clyde here? I don't see him. But anyhow, he said, I'm going to try to be there Sunday whenever you're teaching. But anyhow, it's a letter written to him, and I got his permission to read parts of it since it's directed personally to him. But anyhow, I want to just talk to you here about some things that was prophesied from times of old. The reason that I like to talk about prophecy is because it lets us know how soon the Lord's coming is. And it also lets us know that if a person is not ready to meet God, don't put it off. It's time is now. Now is the time to get ready to meet the Lord. So somewhat, to me, the teachings of prophecy is evangelistic. In the sense that it lets us know that this is not the time to be slack. It's not the time to be careless. And it's not the time to put off serving God if you have thought about it or had a desire in your heart. When I was a boy, I used to always say to myself, I'm going to live like I want to live all my life. And then when I'm an old man, I'll turn and live for God. And then I'll go to heaven, you know. I had it all. I was outsmarting God, you know. I was real smart. <laughs> and it didn't work that way. I got saved at 16 years old. And thank God that I did. And then turned my life to God. And the Lord uh, called me shortly afterwards to preach the gospel and prepare myself for it. I'm going to have you turn with me, if you would, to, to Daniel uh, chapter 9. We looked at this last week. I'm going to refer to it again here, sort of a springboard to what we're looking at. And this was a vision that, John, that Daniel had uh, concerning his time in Babylon. Daniel was in the, it was in the, uh, the country of the empire of Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar and so forth. And finally that was passed along to his grandson, uh, Belshazzar. And then later on, Babylon was conquered by the media Persian empire. The first king of the media Persian Empire was named Darius, Darius I. Darius only served about one year, and then he was replaced by a man by the name of Cyrus. Cyrus himself uh, became the one who would tell the children of Israel they could go back and rebuild the temple in, uh, in Jerusalem. Now, I want to pick up here where Daniel, in his old age, now we often think of Daniel and three Hebrew children, when they were about, they were teenagers, maybe 16, 17, who knows, maybe even 15 or 18. We don't know what year they were, but I always use the age 17 because it's still the age where that in Israel they were still called children whenever they were young men, even still at the point. 
And uh, so Daniel, at this point in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is about 87 years old and uh, 85 years old. So Daniel at this point is an older, old man, if we want to call him that. He definitely was an older man. And he had this vision and uh, he went before the Lord first and he had prayer. And he told God, God, I'm so sorry for myself, for all my sins and the sins of the children of Israel. He knew that he should repent for the children of Israel and for himself. Because in doing so, he would get forgiveness from God and God would restore them what they had lost. So he did that. And I talked to you about that last week. And then the angel Gabriel, while he was still praying, came to him. Now I'm in Daniel chapter 9 and I want to read verse 21. Verse 21, remember this. Now, Daniel's about 85 years old at this point. And then the angel Gabriel came to him and said, Yea, whilst thou wast speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. The oblation is when they made sacrifices normally at the temple, whenever the temple did exist. Now, remember the temple at this point uh, had been uh, had not been in existence for uh, for a while. And uh, at this point, when he disappeared, the temple had been, uh, yeah, been, been 70 years. And uh, they had gone back to rebuild the temple. Now, look at verse 24 in Daniel. This is what Gabriel had to say to Daniel. Look at very close. I'm going to show you an overhead here in just a second. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. The word holy here <clears throat> is in capital letters, meaning it is a proper uh, noun and a noun is a person, place, or thing. In this case, it's probably a person. So it's, a, it's speaking of a particular person. So to anoint the most holy one, and we can see, say it like that and make it clearer. Look at verse 25. So this is what he goes on to say. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. It does not say build the temple. It says to build Jerusalem. So this is where a lot of the Jews went astray on trying to calculate this out. They figured it from when the, they, they were given the commandment to go back and rebuild the temple. Which happened in Ezra chapter 1 starting in verse 1. I won't go there and read that, but that's where it all started. Ezra records it, and uh, it's all written in the first six chapters of the book of Ezra about them returning to rebuild the temple. They were led by a man that was the governor of them called Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was a direct descendant of David, and he was a direct forefather of, uh, of Joseph, the, the one who married Mary. And I'm just telling you that to let you know that this man was a qualified leader. He took 50,000 Jews given by permission by Cyrus, the great, the Persian king, the new one. And the first year that he became king and he gave them permission to go back and to rebuild. He said God had put in his heart to send them back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, the temple. Well, they never built the city. They only rebuilt the temple. And they had a lot of friction, a lot of things going on and on and on. In the seventh chapter of the book of Ezra. Ezra was sent back to go back and this time to refurbish the city. And this was, this was done uh, some many years later. Uh, Ezra 1 was given uh, by uh, 
the, uh, by Cyrus the king. And then in chapter 7 of Ezra, this was like 78 years later, he was given the commandment to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the city. And it says here in 7.1, now after these things in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Artaxerxes was the king now that was in control, 78 years later. He goes on to talk about it. I'm going to just read very quickly in verse 12. I'm in, I'm in Ezra 7.12. And Artaxerxes, the king, uh, of king of kings, unto Ezra the priest, a scribe of the law of God of heaven, perfect peace in, in such time, I make a decree, this is the king now, Artaxerxes, that all they, that the people of Israel and of his priests and Levites and my ram, which are minded of their own free will to go up to Jerusalem, go with it for as much as thou art sent of the king and of his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Notice here, Jerusalem, Judah and Jerusalem. It's all about the city, according to the law that God had put in thy hand. And then he gave them gold and silver and stuff to take back with them and so forth. Now, I'm not going to go any further into that, but this is a period of where it was told them that they should go back. Now, I want, to, want you to go back, if you would, please, to Daniel chapter uh, 9. And I want to pick up here in this 24th verse, chapter 9 of verse. This is going back now when Daniel was uh, still living. And he had this vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Notice that. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. That's Ezra chapter 7 verse 1. Unto the Messiah, the prince. That's Jesus Christ. Shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the walls even in troublesome time. He's talking about the building of the city here. And then it goes on to say in verse 26, and after three score and two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off. That means he'll be killed. But not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary that shall be built. Which was, which was what, what he also understood would happen. And the end thereof shall be with a flood and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. Now, let me give you a little prophecy, a little understanding here of what these weeks were all about. And this is a Bible lesson within itself because I can teach teach all evening here on just that one subject here, Daniel, 70 weeks. But let me just put this screen, let me get a focus on it here. Let me see if I can zoom that in a little bit. All right, there you can see a little better. Now, if you look at the top, Daniel, 70, Daniel, 70 weeks. Back it off a little. Daniel 70 weeks, Daniel 9, 24 through 27. This is where all that's mentioned. And I want you to notice this is sort of giving you a brief interpretation of it. I'm going to give you a chart out here in a little bit. One week equals seven years, not seven days. So when Gabriel said seven weeks are determined as weeks of years. Now, 70 weeks equals 490 years. Uh, seven weeks themselves because the 70 weeks are divided up into portions here. 
It talks about seven weeks and talks about uh, 62 weeks. Seven weeks equals 49 years. 62 weeks equals 434 years. And the seven weeks plus the 62 weeks will equal 69 weeks. Notice there's a week missing here yet. And then when you get into verse uh, 27, it talks about the last one. These 69 weeks together uh, is 483 years. Now, if you uh, add up, and I'm not going to take the time to do this, and this is a real study in itself, but if you add up from Ezra chapter 7, where the commandment was given, where the Lord said the commandment would be given, uh, to go back, you, you add that up until Jesus was crucified. Not when he was born, but when he was, when he was crucified, because it mentions that in here, and when he was killed. Uh, if you add all that up, it comes up to 483 years. So we know then that this is all, and it's talking about Messiah, and it almost invariably proves Jesus was the Messiah. All right. I won't go any further, but I want to show you what was prophesied by Daniel would happen when that period of time would come. So I want you to go to verse 26 in Daniel 9. Daniel 9, 26. This is the very end of this prophecy here that 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 uh, Gabriel is introducing or is, uh, is revealing to Daniel. Not introducing, but revealing at this point. Verse 26, and after three score and two weeks, uh, I can explain to you why it's broken up into seven weeks and six weeks. I won't do that now at this time, but I'll t tell you later on it. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. Jesus won't die for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come, which was Titus, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, which did happen in 70 AD. All of us know that. That's history. The book of Josephus is that thick. It's four or five inches thick, and it tells all about this war that happens, how it happened, how many people involved, everything, everything in detail about that war in 70 AD. And the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. And that's exactly what happened. It happened just like the Lord said it would happen. And then uh, Jesus confirms that. I'm going to read over here in Luke 21, and then I'm going to give, hand out some charts for you, and I want to talk to you from these charts. Uh, look at Luke 21, 20, 21, 20 with me. It says this. This is Jesus now speaking. And when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, this is now Jesus' earthly ministry. And we're looking at, say, 41, 42, about 40, 40, 41 years prior to 70 AD. Jesus is teaching here. When you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolations thereof is nigh. Can everybody hear me okay? Am I sounding muffled or anything like that? Am I, feeling, am I sounding okay? Okay. Now look at this 21st verse. Then let them which are in, Jeru in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let not them that are in the countries enter therein too. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written, speaking of Daniel and other, other places, may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land 
and wrath upon this people. Speaking of the Jewish people, there's going to be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they, the people, the Jews, verse 24, shall fall by the edge of the sword, shall be led away captive into all nations. That did happen in 70 AD, and they were led away in all nations. And Jerusalem should be trodden down of the Gentiles until, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Romans 11.25 speaks of the same thing. It says that this, the Gentiles shall rule the world and church age will be within that period of time. That's where we are today. And we're coming close to the end of that. And it says it will be until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled or completed. It speaks about in that sense of the word. And so we know then that all these things are going to be wrapped up. It's going to come to a conclusion and so forth. Now, I want to, uh, I want to start with uh, this time when the temple was destroyed. I'm going to have these charts handed out to you. And uh, we have charts for everybody. This is one you can keep for yourself. Uh, I thank Brother Tyler Ritchie for putting this together for me. But he took dates and events and and so forth that I've had. I gave him, sort of gave them to him on a scribbled out paper, and he put it together for me in a little chart form, form so I can give it to you. And while these are being handed out, I'm going to lay this right up here. And this is called The History of the Temple. All right, I'll expand that a little bit. This is the history of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. The reason I'm giving you charts, because this may be a little hard to see for you back there. Uh, I think we got it there. I want to talk to you about this because I want to show you show you where Israel is today with this. So when they rejected Jesus Christ as Messiah, then the judgments of God came upon them, just like Daniel had prophesied, like the Gabriel had prophesied actually to Daniel, and Daniel had written it in his book, writings of it, and then that was confirmed later on in Daniel chapter eleven as well. I didn't I didn't get into all that part of it. But only to say here that then Jesus Christ confirmed it. I read it to you out of Luke. It's also recorded in Matthew and also in Mark. And uh, where Jesus stated those things. And uh, this is the, the chart I wanna, want you to uh, look at here. And uh, I want to have you look very closely here with us. And everybody got a chart. All right, if you don't have one, raise your hand. The ushers will give you one. Now, I want you to look over here at the very first place that Jesus Christ was born, right here. 4 B.C. Uh, they messed up on the date back when they did the, the, A, the A.D. B.C., which happened in 733 A.D. It was a monk that redid all the calendar system. And he missed it by, uh, by four years there. They, they think it was... I won't go into detail. There's a lot of uh, discussion on that one. But zero date follows four years later. So Jesus was born first. But the time of the counting always goes to when Jesus was, was crucified, as it mentions here, the ninth chapter of Daniel. And Jesus was still living. 
So Jesus died about 30 AD. He was 33 and a half when he was crucified. So I, I put this 30 AD here as a round figure here. And then about 40 years later, 40 year, years later after Jesus was crucified, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. This is the 70 AD. And this is the word stating here, Jerusalem and temple destroyed by Titus and his army. Now this is interesting. And this is recorded in Josephus. 1,300,000 Jews were killed. It was a feast day and they were trapped in Jerusalem during the feast days. Jews had come from all around, the, around different places in the world to be there for the, for the feast days. Uh, and they were trapped in there and uh, they couldn't get out. And so when the Romans surrounded them, they said, give up, surrender. They said, no, we're not surrendering. They had a lot of zealots who said that we believe that God's going to deliver us and just fight to the end. We'll fight to the death. And they did. They fought till they, they just about were wiped out. There's a lot of history written about it, and it's very detailed and very gruesome. But the Jews then were scattered throughout all the world, and some of the things that was prophesied about them and some of the other writings uh, is all came true. They were taken down into Egypt. They were sold into slavery. They were sent all over the world. They were sent to Italy. They were sent to Spain. They were sent to Greece. They were sent to Turkey. They were sent uh, on up, up in other areas in north, up in Europe, so forth. They were sold into slavery. Now, this all happened in 70 A.D. Now, 35 years, in, 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 in 135 A.D., 135 A.D., there was an uprising by the Jews who were still in Palestine. And it was done by a man by the name of Bar Kochba, means son of the morning. Bar Kochba had a revolt against the Jews, and he claimed he was the Messiah, and the Jews began to follow him. And they said, he's going to lead us to victory and overthrow the Roman Empire. And so they had another revolt, and uh, they started doing it. They started printing a coin with the temple on the mount, even though there was no temple. Printed on the temple on the mount, uh, that this is what it was going to look like, and so forth. And it went on and on. And so in 135 uh, A.D., uh, the, the Emperor Hadrian, Jerusalem, there was a revolt in Jerusalem and destroyed by Hadrian. And the, a pagan temple to Jupiter was built. Jupiter was the chief god of the Romans. Uh, and so it was built unto him. And so there was a pagan temple built on the Temple Mount uh, in the place since there was nothing there. And so he did that as a, as a spite to them. And uh, this rocked along then from 70 A.D. This, from, this happened in 135 A.D. And then for the next 168 years, a pagan temple stood called to Jupiter stood on the Temple Mount. And then in 323 A.D., 323 A.D., when the Christianity took over paganism, Christianity had excelled in the Roman Empire. Constantine became the first emperor who was converted to Christianity, and he destroyed the Jupiter pagan temple. Constantine did. He did all of that in, 320, in uh, 323. In Jupiter, the pagan temple was, uh, was, was destroyed. I mean, uh, Constantine converted Christianity and destroyed the, Jup the uh, Jupiter pagan temple. Constantine's mother, who was called Helena, began to build Christian churches all over Jerusalem. She built them everywhere. And, uh, and in Palestine and so forth. And all this happened about 323 A.D. So there was temples built here and there. But nothing was built on the Temple Mount. 
They wouldn't do that at that point. Now, look at 363. This is very interesting. This is 363. The Jews planned to rebuild the temple, but an earthquake stopped the plans on the night before construction that was to begin on May 20th. Now, they had all the materials stacked on the Temple Mount, and the Jews were going to rebuild their temple at that date. And on the, they were going to start building, uh, I think, on the 21st. Let's see, the plans were the 20th, 20th, end of May, 20th or 21st. Yeah, they were going to start building. And the night before an earthquake hit that place and that Temple Mount split open and all those things fell in and they were just demolished and destroyed. And the Jews said, well, apparently God is not for us building the temple at this time. So they backed off of it. And there was no more effort no more by the Jews from that time on, no more effort to try to rebuild the temple. Uh, some 306 years later, Constantine's church family started uh, on the mount to show Christian control. And it was, there, was a, there was a church built there on the tip of the mount by the Byzantines. The Byzantines was the eastern part of Christianity. And by this time, you had Christianity developed into two parts. You had what is called the Orthodox Church on the east, which we know as the Greek Orthodox. And then you had the Roman Catholics on the west side. So the, the Europe was sort of divided in this fashion. But it was Christian, but it was divided in this fashion. And uh, called Christian, you know, not, not as we believe in Christianity, but as they were. Christianity had become very paganistic. You well know that. I'm not going to get into that. But uh, the Byzantine was the eastern part of it. And so they built then this, uh, this church there. And that was done in 629. And then just not many, two, just a few years later in 620, 638 to 639 years later, the Muslims who had become a nation or, or a religion in 622, 622 by Mohammed, they'd become a religion and they were very aggressive. Uh, they would raid caravans, they'd steal money, they'd steal supplies and they would give it to whoever they wanted to give it to. And if you would convert to Muslims, they'd give you stuff. And uh, they'd rob from people who were not, give it to the people who would be converted. And so this is how they brought out conversion. And so they grew very fast, and they, by leaps and bounds. And so the Muslims then decided to build a mosque there. So the Muslims returned, and Caliph Omar, that was his name, Caliph Omar, Caliph is the title of the person of the caliphate. It's like you say the presidency is the office, the president of the United States is the person. You understand what I'm saying? All right, so the, the caliphate uh, is the office, the caliph is the person. That's what they call the police. It's like saying he's the president of the Muslim world. He's over all the Muslim world, he's in charge. So the caliph Omar, turned the Byzantine church into a wooden mosque. Not the Dome of the Rock, a mosque where they'd go there and they would worship. It was called the Mosque of Omar. And it stood, stood there for uh, several decades. And then finally, in 691, the Muslims updated the Mosque of Omar and turned it into the Dome of the Rock shrine. In other words, they said, this is not to be worshiped in, but it's going to be a Dome of the Rock. The reason is because that rock that's is on the Temple Mount. 
that the Jews claim is, and they're, they're controversial about it, they don't know where it was the site of the Holy of Holies or the site of the brazen altar which offered all the sacrifices. They don't know which one it was. They, they're conflicting on some believe one, some believe another. But anyhow, it was that rock that there that Mohammed claimed that he ascended into heaven from when he was still living. And he's supposed to have stepped on that rock and he leaped and he went to heaven and the, the angel Gabriel appeared unto him and told him how he would be the head of the Muslim world and that Allah was God. That was the name of God was Allah and so forth. And that's where he's supposed to have gotten all of his information and, and so forth. Uh, Joseph Smith in America somewhat had that same kind of a claim and said the angel appeared to him and told him that the that the uh, Mohammed the uh, I'm getting them to it that the uh, Mormons would be <laughs> would be the the people of God on earth. I won't get into that one. That's another one. But that's where he got the idea from. All right, I'm going to move on here very quickly here. But this is uh, this is where this uh, first dome of the rock then was was put there. In 1099, uh, this was happening just about 100 years later, Jerusalem was conquered by the Crusaders who came from Europe. And the shrine and the mosque became their headquarters. They moved in and just made their headquarters in that building. They didn't destroy it. It looked pretty, pretty beautiful, nice. So they just left it all intact and they just made a headquarters of it. The Crusaders were soldiers who had come out of, out of Europe. They were from England. They were from France. They were from Germany. They were from Switzerland. They were from England. They were from Norway. Uh, I said England. They were from Italy. Uh, and they finally went on down over into the Middle East there, and they wanted to deliver Jerusalem from the heathen, as they called it, the pagans, the heathens. And so they went down there, and they fought for 100 years. And after a while, the pagans, as they call them, drove them out. And this battle went on and on, and a lot of these crusaders died down there fighting with these Arabs, and these Arabs died and fought, fighting, died. And this went on that way for a hundred years. Finally, they were driven back out, and when they was, Jerusalem was conquered by the crusaders. Then finally, going back over here to the Dome of the Rock, the Dome of the Rock fell back into the hands of the Muslims. Then in 1187, hands of the uh, hands of the Muslims with the Mamelukes. And the shrine was refurbished. The Mamelukes was a people who had been slaves in Egypt. They, they had been Mormon. They had, they had been uh, Muslims. And they had been slaves and they had overthrown their slavery. And they'd become soldiers. The, they, they, they put them into their army. The, the Egyptians put the Mamelukes in their army to fight so they wouldn't get killed. But the Mamelukes, if so many men are going to fight, they'd kill anyone. Well, in being put in the army and given weapons, they overthrew their slavery position that they had in Egypt. And they became the leaders of, of Egypt. And when they became the leaders, then they went around, they conquered everybody and conquered everything. And they finally conquered Jerusalem as well. And when they did, they were the ones who were responsible for building much of the wall that's there now today around Jerusalem. And that all happened back uh, in uh, 1887 and so forth. Uh, I think I got it right, 1187. And so they were rebuilding. Now I'm gonna move on a little quicker here. Jerusalem fell under the Turkish rule with the Sultan Selim. 
the Ottoman Empire came into power in 1516, and it ruled that area, all that Jerusalem, Palestine area. They were in total control of it for almost uh, four or 500 years, 400 years. And then finally, in 1917, this was at the end of World War I. In World War I, Turkey sided with Germany against uh, England, France, and the United States, so forth. Turkey sided with them. And so whenever England went on, went into conquering the World War I came to an end, they, over, they took back Palestine and all that central area there. Uh, this, was, this was a very pivotal point. The British took control of the Temple Mount at this point, and they controlled it. And they kept peace there between the Arabs and between the Jews. The Jews wanted the Temple Mount and the Arabs won the Temple Mount, and they, they, they kept everything out. They kept the Dome of the Rock just like it was. They didn't mess with it. They sort of kept it sac sacred. They kept it uh, untouched. And this is what was going on uh, with this Temple Mount and so forth under this English roof. Excuse me. <coughs> Many of you remember the movie way back there called Lawrence of Arabia, uh, T.C. T, uh, T.C. T. C. Lawrence, I think that's his initials. T.C. Lawrence was an actual person, and he was an Englishman who went over there, and he, he, he rallied the Arabs around him to fight against the Germans and to fight for England. And that's how the English got such control of this area, is through him, Lawrence of Arabia. And remember him going through that desert trying to get to the Aqaba, the city that's way down into the southern part of Israel, and Jordan and so forth, and he was very responsible for that. To this day, the Jews don't, do not like uh, Lawrence of Arabia. They don't, I mean, they don't like him at all, T.C. Lawrence. He was later, when he went back to England, he was killed in a motorcycle accident. He's still a very young man. But anyhow, the England then took charge and, uh, in 1917. And then 1947, they said, you know what? World War II now is over with. We've been in control of this since the end of World War I. The Jews now are coming back to their own country. Many Jews suffered in World War II. You well know that. And whenever they did, they wanted the door in Israel to be opened up so they could go back to Palestine and it be their homeland. So the Jews began to flood into Palestine by the thousands, boatloads, shiploads of them. And they began to come in from all over Germany, Poland, uh, in, in Austria, where many of them had, uh, they were descendants and they had family members that were in the concentration camps. You know the story and so forth. And they began to come back then to Israel. And finally in 1947, England says, we're tired of trying to keep this peace here in Palestine between the Arabs and the Jews. We're out of here. We're just out of here. Now the Jews resent England not really turning that Temple Mount over to them at that point. They really wish they had have done that, but England said, we're not going to take any sides because we owe the Arabs something for having turned to the British in World War I, so they didn't do anything. And so anyhow, they turned it back over to them. And in 1947, the British allowed Israel to become a state. They made them a state and said, okay, all your British guys, get out and leave it with them. And, the nation, and Israel became a nation and immediately went to war with the Arabs. The Arabs tried to throw them out and everything. They had a war there, and they were able to put it down and to sustain themselves as a nation. Now, 
I'm going to move very quickly in this next one because most of you are very familiar with it. What do we got up here? I don't know how that cropped up there. I must have hit a button. Did I hit something? I bet I did. I must have hit something. My hand hit something here. I don't know what I'm doing. Let's just stay with the end of the, the chart. Down here, if you look at the very the Six-Day War happened in, in 1967. And uh, I walk in a mall sometime for exercise, you know. And uh, in doing so, there's a guy there that fought in the Six-Day War. He's a Jewish guy. And he's, I've talked to him a couple of times. He said he fought in the Six-Day War. Uh, he lives in Canada and comes down here in America sometimes. And so anyhow, uh, it's interesting to have talked to him. But here's what happened in the Six-Day War. Uh, all these countries, Jordan, uh, Egypt, and uh, Syria, surrounding Israel, all at one time went against Israel. And Israel defeated them in six days. They were able to defeat them. They, they, their, their tanks and their equipment they had. Uh, what Israel had and what the others did not know that they had at the time was the atomic bomb. During the period of time building up to the, the Six-Day War, Israel was developing the atomic bomb. They had Jews out of France who had given them the knowledge and the, and the uh, blueprints, or whatever you want to call it, for building the bomb. And so Israel had built the bomb. And when they were going to war, they didn't know if they were going to be wiped off the map or not. This is whenever Moshe Dayan, that one-eyed general with the patch over his eye, he told Golden Mier, he said, get the bomb ready. We don't know if we're going to survive this. And then she had it ready. They had it ready to go if they had to use it. But instead, England was able, uh, England, Israel was able to win that war in just six days. It's called the Six-Day War. It's all over with. Because the, the Egyptians got strung out in that desert. And with those planes and things, they were coming, able to come in there and blow the tanks out, and armies, and they defeated them in Syria. They took over the entire uh, peninsula, the Sinai Peninsula, way on down to England, uh, down to Egypt. I don't know why I keep saying England, way down in Egypt. And they also took the Golan Heights from Syria and, uh, and so forth, uh, which is a beautiful country. And uh, they took, uh, took the West Bank of Jordan River, and left the other eastern side to Jordan, and they took the West Bank side, and they took it over. Now, during that period of time, listen to me closely here. During that period of time, paratroopers dropped in on the Temple Mount, and they invaded the Temple Mount, and they took over the Temple Mount, and they said, yes, now we're going to rebuild our temple. And then in a few days... The government of Israel says, no, all you Jews get off that Temple Mount. We're leaving everything intact. We're not destroying anything. We're leaving just like that, and we're leaving it in the hands of the Arabs. Now, this became a bone of contention among a lot of the Jews. I have a, a paper here that was put out here by the, by the uh, Temple Mount Institute. And uh, the, the head of that at that time back then was Gershon Solomon. Gershon Solomon was one of the paratroopers that paratrooped in on the Temple Mount. And he remembers all of those things very well. I'm going to read this to you very quickly here. I only have about five minutes left. There are three biblical conditions for the complete redemption of the people of Israel and for the coming of Messiah. The gathering of Israel, that is as a nation, the founding of Israel's state, and the rebuilding of the temple. 
those three things they said is necessary. The third, which is the building of the temple, third condition, the rebuilding of the temple, is soon going to be fulfilled. And so they are looking for it. They want it to happen. They go on to write about it. The Temple Mount and the Land of Israel Faithful Movement is now facing some very important stages in their campaign to have this done. It says here, first, uh, there has to be a peace made. Second, it says that to immediately open the Temple Mount to Jewish prayers. Third, to push the government to immediately start rebuilding the temple. This is what their objective is. And fourth is to educate the people that they've got to rebuild this temple. They go on to say here, and I'm jumping over here, together with their allies, they are preparing the Arabs. The Arabs and other Islamic nations, they're trying to destroy Israel and push the people of Israel into the sea. This is what Israel is saying. This is what this paper is saying. It says, together with their allies, they're preparing for the coming war against Israel in which they plan to finally destroy her. This is going to be the most terrible war against the small state of Israel. They're believing that this is like Armageddon. This is what they believe that this will be. Uh, And uh, this will be the war of the prophets called the war of Gog and Magog. This will be the last war against Israel. God is going to show them and all the nations that he is one God and his name is one. He alone is the best friend to Israel and controls his destiny. Uh, Not any of her enemies. God will save Israel in the war and will defeat these others uh, and punish them. Because this will be the time of the temple and the Messiah, Ben David. Ben means son of David. Uh, The Messiah, the son of David in Jerusalem. Jerusalem will become, as God planned to be, the capital of Israel uh, and the focus of all the earth. And then he goes on to say, you know, different things about it here. The feast. They talked about the feast of the Passover. And uh, this is a, a writing here that has a lot of things to say about their objective and how that, that, that they want this to come to pass and for it, they want it to happen. This is a letter here that they wrote, the Temple Mount wrote to, uh, to Brother Gibson, uh, to Clyde Gibson. And I'm just reading here a couple of paragraphs. The Bible teaches us that the Temple Mount was the center of mankind's spiritual relation with God. The prophets of Israel will uh, all foresaw that the day will come when the Temple Mount will be rebuilt. They said that 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 light will go forth to all the world from the rebuilt Holy Temple. What they're saying to Clyde is that all the Gentiles now will be blessed by the Temple being built because it will have to come from us, through us. And this is what they're trying to emphasize here at this point. And this is where Israel, I think, gets some people who are Christians, if they can, they'll get you pulled off into this, that the building of the Temple Mount has to be built before the Messiah can come. So they are up in arms about it. And so they go on. I've got other writings here since this this was written and everything. And they're all so uptight about it. And then they will do things that will sort of excite everything. And uh, they'll rush on the Temple Mount and do something. And then the Arabs come rushing in there again. And they're fighting and shooting and people get killed. At one point, I think there's 11 of them all got killed because they tried to make it happen. And I'm just saying here that this is where they are with all of that because they feel like that the Zionist movement have got to do it for the Jews. The Zionist movement believes that Jews return to Palestine and that the Temple Mount is going to be, is to be back to their hands and the temple is to be rebuilt. And only when that happens can Messiah come. 
And so they've got to do it for the Messiah to come back. In other words, Messiah's coming back is all up to us. Not coming back, coming. Their Messiah's coming. I'm just trying to point out to you folks that this is a hot spot in the world. And these Jews believe these things very desperately. And there's a conflict. And other Jews said, hey, look, leave the temple about alone. We're doing well. We're a nation. We're getting along fine. Everybody's having fun. You know, we're all eating good. We're not, nobody's getting blown up now down at the bus depot and everything. Just leave everything alone. And the Temple Mount says, no, Messiah can't come until we build that temple. And they go on and on about it. To be honest with you, the Lord is going to be in control of everything. And he is in control. And it'll be built when he says it's going to be built. Praise the Lord. And it's going to, he's going to come back when he says it's time to come back. So you and I must know that what the Lord's word says in the New Testament and what the Jews are trying to hold fast to in that Old Testament is a shade different difference than what they believe than what we believe. And so I want you to know this while I respect them and respect Israel for their, their, their achievements and what they're doing and so forth. Yet, and I, I believe we should be very supportive of Israel. I do believe, praise the Lord, that we can't be caught up in their, their religion and their side of things, but we must stay with the New Testament, which is that the Lord is coming back for his church. He's coming back for his people without spot or wrinkle, and he will come back, and our time is gone.